I wonder when was the last time you made a promise. You know, some sort of promise. When I was uh, on jury duty last month, uh, uh, at the start of the trial, I had to make a promise. I, I had to choose, actually, what words of promise I was going to make. Because I could make an affirmation or swear an oath. In either case, the promise would be that I would faithfully try the defendant and give a true verdict according to the evidence. But the difference being whether I would swear by Almighty God or solemnly, sincerely and truly declare and affirm. In such circumstances... Asked to put a hand on the New Testament and read the words on a card, it is perhaps easy to remember the event. I can say it was about 11 o'clock on that Monday morning. But what about other promises? Sometimes we make a promise without even realising it is one. Such as when I tell my wife that I will buy guinea pig food while she is at work. You know? Will, will you buy guinea pig? I will buy guinea pig food before you come home from work. In such circumstances, although I might not have used the, the word swear or vow or affirm, the undertaking is still a promise, isn't it? But it's one that we might accidentally not keep. <laughs> and might even forget making that promise at all until much later in the day when you suddenly realise that the promise is broken. All of us, all of us at some point make undertakings. We, we make a promise and we might mean to keep that promise at the time. We might say, yes, this is it. I will do this thing. And then the next thing happens and some of those times it, it, that promise just goes out the window. That commitment that we've made doesn't always stick. And sometimes when we've fallen short, it's not too important. There might still be a little bit of guinea pig food at the back of the cupboard somewhere. But other times there can be serious consequences. The breaking of the jury oath may lead to an unfair trial and a wrong conviction. The breaking of a marriage vow might lead to separation and divorce, the breakup of a family, the sharing of classified information, a breach of a promise to observe the Official Secrets Act might put lives at risk, either on the battlefield or at home. Promises, even the most serious of promises, do at times get forgotten and sometimes are willfully ignored. 
but God does not forget his promises. He remembers them. He keeps them. Remember the rainbow in the sky? He says that he will look at that and remember that he's not got to flood the earth again in that same way. God remembers the promise. His word is faithful and it is true. The author of our reading, and there's a lot of debate as to who the author of Hebrews is. Is it Paul? Is it a friend of Paul? Is it somebody else? But the author writes to the Hebrews, who are the first century Jesus-seeking descendants of Abraham. And he tells them about living as God's people. And in this passage, about how God promises things to Abraham to their forefather to Abraham hundreds of years earlier thousands of years earlier almost promises had been made and these centred around the idea that although he was an old man he would become a father and that wouldn't be the end of it because his descendants would become a nation. And that nation would, in time, live in a promised land. The particular promise referred to um, in Hebrews 6 is likely that of Genesis 22, made just after the Lord spares Isaac. He says, stop. As Abraham is about to plunge a knife into him. And a ram is brought out in place. It's the end of human sacrifice for those who believe in the true God. You see, this is not how things should be. And God says, I swear by myself... That because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. God swears an oath to Abraham. But as there is no higher authority than God, he swears by myself. Now, of course, God's promises are true. He doesn't vary from his promise. So to simply make a promise would be one thing that would be believed. But the Lord swears an oath by himself. He's sort of saying, if if I don't hold true to this, then you might as well never believe me again. This is my very being. I make a promise and I keep it. Your mind and your family will be a nation. And if that's not true, well, what sort of God am I? 
God could have simply promised. But with the oath, he puts another layer of assurance. It is secure. It's like a front door having a five-lever mortise lock as well as the Yale. Right? You know that the Yale will hold it. But your insurance company says, you know, put a five-lever on there as well. Make it a bit more solid. That's it. Make it strong and positive. And it's always got to be there. Much harder to break through. It's a bit like putting a belt on at the same time as a set of braces. You know, either one by themselves should hold up. Even a large, baggy pair of trousers. But a belt and braces together is saying, you know, these trousers are going to stay up. The Lord makes an oath by himself. He, he can't make it based on some false god. He can't make it based on man or on creation. Nothing is greater than God. And he swears on it by himself. And this promise that he makes is solid. It's a solid promise to Abraham. And the word that we hear through Jesus, the Son of God, is likewise solid and true. He spoke of going before us, of going ahead of us to prepare a place for us, a place at the Father's side. And here the author of the letter to the Hebrews is saying, you know, that place that he's gone to, that place that he's prepared is through the curtain, it's through the veil. He's comparing it to an earthly point that the Hebrews would identify with. Behind the curtain, the most holy place in the most holy place that they knew. The very presence of God on earth as it had been understood. It's the place where the nativity story starts in Luke's gospel, isn't it? Zechariah encounters an angel of the Lord in Luke 1. And he's struck dumb when he's unable to comprehend that as an old man, he's got to have a family. He's got to have a son. That he's unable to comprehend that hope is going to come in his life. Now, Jesus, in his time on earth, did not enter the inner sanctum of the temple. But at the time of his death, at the time of the cross, when the blood flowed, at the time of death, the curtain is said to have torn top to bottom. That separation that only the priest of that occasion could actually go behind the curtain and that is removed. <clears throat> Signifying a way for all to come to the Father has now been prepared. 
that journey is possible. No exclusion. Anyone who accepts Christ as Lord can gain entry. Hope is available. The hope we have is, according to the author, like an anchor. The NIV has gone away from the, uh, from the old King James words that are very familiar to the members of the Boys' Brigade. For the past 135 years, the BB have declared that the anchor is sure and steadfast. It's written up there. You probably can't see it from back there. But here it is, on an anchor at the top of the colours. Sure and steadfast, an anchor. Firm and secure, the words that we might get today, are perhaps better understood by more people now. Maybe lacks a touch of the poetry. But either way, sure and steadfast, firm and secure, there is this sense that the anchor is somewhere pretty solid. And it won't be moved. Can't be budged. It's lodged in there. Those spiky bits have grabbed hold. And that anchor is solid. And it's solid at the Father's throne. Jesus is there. The wider metaphorical picture that the writer of Hebrews puts here is a bit messy. You know, he's mixing metaphors and he's doing all sorts of stuff. But that anchor that is Christ is solid in the highest place. And we who are holding the anchor or probably more accurately holding the rope or the chain that comes off the anchor are therefore linked to that high place. We're linked to that place beyond the curtain, that place at the Father's side. We are connected to the anchor and because of where our anchor is, if we have a firm grip, we will not drift away from God. But we can keep ourselves close to him. Now it's worth noting that the presence of an anchor doesn't mean that there's no turbulent waters. You know, we can feel in a storm at times. We are shaken by the events on the news or the events in our life. Family health issues, perhaps broken promises, earthquake, tsunami. Might even be 
things that have happened in the church that shake you. But when you feel you are in a storm, don't let go of the rope. The rope that holds you to the anchor. But hold it tighter. Pull hard on the rope. Bring yourself closer to Jesus. To his way and his love. Feel that you are secure in that presence. The promises of God hold true over the years. To Abraham and Sarah came Isaac. To Isaac, Jacob. To Jacob, Joseph and his brothers. To Joseph and his brothers at the time of the Exodus, more than 600,000 men plus women plus children. A number far greater than the stars that had seen, been seen by human eye at that time. There's only 9,000 stars visible from Earth before you get your telescope out. God, through Jesus, promises that we're not left alone. He promises that he is always with us. He promises that by his Holy Spirit coming to us and filling us, we can do amazing things. Things that reveal a glimpse of that great kingdom that is yet to come. The kingdom that he in time will bring. We have a God who keeps his promises. May you keep hold of hope and seek to share that hope with others. Amen. Oh,